Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. I want to mention a few more names, Nathan. Uh, Tina Marie, another wow. multi-talent that's not with us any longer, but you did collaborate with her. Yeah. No, and, and, and again, in the studio, she was, she was just had so much energy, sweet as they could be. And just when she got up to that mic to sing, you just were going, where does this voice come from? She was just, because she was only like, she was a little bitty girl, you know. And, and uh, but such a, such a big voice, a big heart. And uh, again, you know, just so sad to, that we lost her at, at such an early age, you know. But but she left a lot. Still left a lot of great music here. She's another one I think that people don't maybe fully appreciate. You know that she could play guitar and she wrote and all the things that she did. You know. Well, no, she was she was very very passionate about songwriting and and um, and all the bits and pieces, all the parts. She was very very musical, very talented. You know, and like you say, she could she could um, you know she could make a demo and play every instrument. Really impressive. And you've worked with so many phenomenal female singers, probably all of the great ones I could ever think of. Uh, and one of them that's coming back and it's good to see is Anita Baker. Oh yeah. No, it's, it's I mean, ever since the first regular, we, you know, that, I think it was 1980, but the songstress album, um, you know, there's, there's no other voice like Anita Baker's, you know, and, and she's been, um, a dear friend, I mean, for decades, and we've done everything together. And 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 you hear again, it's just so exciting to hear those records on the radio. And, and it always takes me just to all the good times we had in the studio, always surrounded by the best, best of the best. You know, uh, Ricky Lawson's her fellow Detroit <laughs> uh, brother on drums, and but then there'd be Steve Steve Ferroni, you know, Phil and Gaines. Another fellow Detroit monster, <laughs> um, and uh, and then you know so many great uh, memories with uh, Barney Perkins at at the helm engineering, who's also no longer with us, but <laughs> great great man, and and uh, you know Michael Powell producing, uh, Vernon D. Fails playing uh, playing the Rhodes. I mean they Bobby Lyle and just always a room filled with music and she's she's always been very passionate also about it just being very organic and not not overly produced or or uh, but just like if if there's a good song that you could sit around the piano and play and sing 
that was that was sort of the the, the basis for for her music you know and uh, what, what a voice oh yeah i love the way she brought that understated sophistication you know to everything she did you know i think i think anita baker could she could make she could make a jazz album that would be amazing. She could make a gospel album. She could make an R&B album. Basically, whatever she wants to do, you know, because when she opens when she opens her mouth and sings, you know, and, and, and the world knows that voice and loves it. Yeah. I, I was a fan all the way back to her Chapter 8 days before she became big, and I was so glad to see her actually, you know, yes. get over on her own. So Yeah. Yeah, and she goes from being a, a receptionist at a, at a legal firm, you know, <laughs> to being just to being Anita Baker. Yeah, Unbelievable. great story. Yeah. So Nathan, when you're playing for people like Anita, uh, Whitney, um, yeah, I think Gladys Knight, Shaka, Barbara Streisand, these female singers, and they are the focus. They're the spotlight. How do you make sure that you really support and complement what they do, and not sort of overshadow or interfere with it? No, well, I when, when when I'm playing with these folks, I mean, I'm just I'm listening to what they're singing and just trying to paint a picture around what they're singing, and and literally just pay homage to the song and uh, and what it's saying, you know. So, like I I, I use the I use the bass as a as a, as an instrument to to make them shine, you know, and make them look good. Paint. It's a, it's my paintbrush <laughs> when I get in there with, with them, and then literally just um, just listen to listen to the lyrics and, and what the story is about, and let's say, okay, what can I do to uh, to help them tell this story? Mm-hmm. Um, what can you tell us about George Duke? Oh, just that he again. Was was one of the nicest guys ever you wanted to hang out with. Uh, he loved his wine, loved a good glass of wine. He had a beautiful wine cellar in there. So after every session, uh, we'd raid the cellar and and, and crack open a, a nice bottle of something. Um, funny, but the best guy. I mean, when I was coming up and listening to those albums, uh, uh, the the Aura will prevail and and all those, and then his work with Cannonball Adderley. I got to meet him early on when our band was actually opening for Cannonball, and uh, and George was playing with Cannon, um, and he's he's always been one of my favorite musicians and one of my favorite people ever. I had uh, Byron Miller on the show, and he had some great stories about George. He just spoke so highly of him as just not only his talent but his character, like you're saying. Yeah, well, well, Byron was he was the man, you know, Byron and Dugu. Uh, Sheila, you know, and, and I remember they're they're making those uh, reach for it and these just the funkiest records ever, and and uh, so yeah, I've, I've I've picked up a few, I've stolen a few licks from Byron <laughs> back in the day. Chaka Khan is my fa- my favorite female vocalist of all time. So, uh, what can you say about her? Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't argue with it. She uh, she's such a sweetheart too. I mean. First of all, you know, and, and I was one of the biggest Rufus fans as well. So to get to work with her, um, and and she always was bass conscious. Like I said, you know, Anthony Jackson being her favorite bass player, I to study every one of those records uh, 
clouds and move me no mountain and these songs where the bass line was just i mean encyclopedia of bass parts on these records um and so again to get to work with her was like i'm going you know this this is a very uh prestigious position to be because she understands bass and uh, and then to get to sing with her and, and foreplay between the sheets and do a, a, a duet with her you know i'm just i keep i keep pinching myself <laughs> and just too much fun and and she's a dear friend yeah i definitely recommend viewers check that out on youtube that clip of you guys doing that and philip bailey who's also up there so amazing. exactly yeah unbelievable just, um so you played on i feel for you are you actually on that track no that's um lewis johnson okay lewis johnson steve ferroni on drums yeah um i'm on through the fire and uh which was written by my buddy tom keen and david foster uh the the music and and uh it's uh yeah she again she has she has so many great hits well that was such a huge comeback for her that was also good to see you know yeah, yeah. Really great to see. how did you make the clapton connection initially ah so that's a good one um initially it was um he you know when he was signed to warner brothers um the producers kind of had their stable of guys and there was an album called behind the sun i think 83 84 i know we were in the studio around those years um and he you know he was with he was working with those producers who you know, i think lenny warner occurred uh, russ Tidelman, and they said well we got some guys in LA. I think we, you'd enjoy playing with. He was Luke Thur, Jeff Picaro, Michael Lamarty, and Billy Gaines. You know, the, kind of the stable of the guys. And uh, and I got that call as well. And so we met him um, on that album. He he was lovely, and and it's kind of like he was meeting the LA guys for the first time. And we were meeting him, and and again, everybody was just going around bowing <laughs> to each other, um, and we. Uh, you know, had an incredible relationship ever since. And I was introduced to him by Phil Collins when I was working on uh, Philip Bailey's album. Uh, we went out to a pub in Guilford and uh, Phil was, was working with Eric and producing something on him as well. So I was introduced to him and then sort of reintroduced um, at Live Aid 1985. I was playing there with Kenny Loggins and when I got off the stage, there's Eric you know saying hey let's hang out you know i mean we were destined to to work together and then shortly after that phil collins was and uh tom dowd were producing an album called august um and we collaborated on that greg filling gains phil collins eric and myself and then we had so much fun in the studio that we uh we eric's manager said hey i got some dates lined up at royal albert hall Montreux jazz festival so in 1986 we went on the road together and um and so it's kind of been hitting it ever since we did we did six nights at the albert hall that year 12 the next year 18 the next year and then one year was like 24 nights <laughs> you know, so and i think they made it they made an album recorded 24 nights uh, then unplugged and i mean this has been so much fun uh to this day i was in i was in last night recording some new music with it how long does it take you to learn a repertoire 
like his, uh, you know, how much time do you spend on something like that? Well, it helps being, um, it, it helps when you're like a 16 year old kid, if, if you're in your bedroom with cream learning those baselines, you know, it's like, I, um, and, and basically, you know, it's just said, okay, let's, let's do these songs in the set. And so most of them I already knew. And, uh, but normally if, you know, if, if you get a set list in, in a couple of weeks, and, and that's what we used to do, we heard two or three weeks um, to get everything worked up. So uh, by that time, we were pretty good, ready to go. Is he big on rehearsing or just, hey, this is it, let's go? No, he, he's big on rehearsing. He, he wants it to be, because a lot of times too, um, if he hasn't played every day, then it's just kind of getting the chops back up in shape, you know, for, the, for hitting the road. It's kind of like training. <laughs> with all the hundreds of players that you've worked with you know what about uh eric clapton's style is just so unique and special and um how does the interplay work between you well again i um i always emphasize you know playing playing with the heart you know and and uh, so he's one of one of those players that every note just is so heartfelt and and uh it's like they seem to come from the bottom of his feet and go right through him, you know, and and you look over there and once that head is leaned back and his, those eyes are closed, you know, get out of the way <laughs> because there's going to be some some really beautiful notes coming at you. And and so, you know, he's, he's almost, it's become like a, a brother over the years, you know, after, you know, coming up on four decades of working together and, um, it's just nice when you can, when you can kind of uh, hear where each, the other person is going to go, and you kind of can go with it and hear around the, the changes around the corner, you know, and uh, and and just again support and lift uh, what's happening in the moment, which is which is the challenge, you know, and and again whether whether it's one note or twenty, uh, they all have to mean something. How comfortable do you feel getting to sing? You know what? He, he pushed me up to sing Camp on my way home. And, um, if I had known Steve Winwood was in the audience when I did it at the Albert Hall, I would have been a lot more nervous. But uh, yeah, it's fun. I used to sing in, in the club bands and the top 40 bands uh, when I was growing up. So it's something that I enjoy doing. And, um, you know, as long as there are no other real singers around, <laughs> I'm comfortable doing it. So, you know, I've been focusing on uh, mostly the R&B and, and jazz artists you've worked with, but you've worked with so many on the rock side too, Clapton being one of the most prominent, and you mentioned Phil Collins. And um, were you on the Easy Lover song? Yeah, we actually, we co-wrote that together. That was the, the last song on the Philip Bailey record. We had been there for two weeks and Philip said, we still need like a single that we could take to the label, you know, and, and we went over the piano and, uh, you know, I kind of started playing those chorus changes and then people started singing, you know, we, we started singing along. Philip Bailey started singing like his verse and uh, literally we, we, we made a demo of the song that night and uh, the next day we came, we came back to, to listen to it and see what we could improve on and we all liked we all liked what we played, you know, on the demo. <laughs> and then Phil Collins was singing, you know, he started singing these words, choosy lover, then it was easy lover. 
And then he sounded so good. And I, I said, maybe, maybe you should do it as a duet with, with Philip, you know? So it became um, a duet and, and it did great. I, I had so much fun with this tune. Was that the first uh, track you were involved in composing where it became such a huge hit? Pretty much. Yeah. Probably, probably the biggest songwriting effort that I've, that I've been involved with. Yeah. Had you met Philip prior to that? I had met Philip prior to that, and he actually was the one that, you know, suggested me to Phil Collins, who I hadn't really known. And uh, so when when they collaborated, Phil said, I'd love to bring Nate over. Uh, and we had done some things together. Uh, so I'll forever be grateful for that connection. Yeah, and you worked with Philip pretty extensively on some of his other work, and I think you also were involved in the uh, the Earth, Wind, and Fire comeback album in '87, right? Touch the world. Yes. Yeah, touch the world, which which I I, I still couldn't believe because Verdine White is is one of my heroes on the bass, but Maurice White was was kind of experimenting around, and I'm just if you get me on an Earth, Wind, all I'm going to do is my Verdine White impersonation, <laughs> you know, but but at the same time, it's the, a high honor, you know. To, to participate what impressed you about maurice white everything <laughs> i mean maurice white is one of those producers where you hear one thing in the studio and when you go back and hear the record it's like it was put through the magic machine you know and and everything he did i mean um truly one of the most gifted and uh talented and spiritually uplifting musicians i've ever had a chance to work with you know just everything about what he did was was uh, was brilliant again hated to, to lose him so early um but if you listen to those earth wind and rec earth wind and fire records you like every time i hear him i hear something new you know i hear something that i haven't heard before they were just so magically put together meticulous arrangements and and that the bulk of parts and it just they 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 became like part of our dna you know and to this day I, I i'm just still in awe of the guys yeah yeah it's great that they're still carrying that legacy that's what i love too fantastic yes yeah, it's saw them at the all-star game yeah the night and there they are you know shining star and i, I can i can just remember like it was yesterday trying to learn verdine's bass part for that <laughs> On your solo record, you had uh, them come on and guest. And did you um, plan those tracks? I think Serpentine Fire and Love's Holiday already, or did you do it because you knew they were going to be involved? Or you know, um, um, for for uh, Serpentine Fire, that was sort of uh, my brother Marcel and I had had put that track together um, a few years earlier with with our, our friend and engineer Mugi Canazio. And so that was a track that was already kind of in the works and uh, Phil Collins had played drums on it. And so when we went to, uh, you know, when I was working on the last record, we went out and dug out the masters and, and uh, put, put it on. And, and so we said, what would be better than having, you know, Earth, Wind and Fire guest on this tune? <laughs> so, uh, and while we're doing that, I mean, Love's Holiday was a song that I used to sing uh, when I was playing, uh, you know, at the Hilton Cargo Bar in San Diego in the seventies, you know, so to uh, I asked Philip Bailey, "Oh, would you be, would you bless the song with with some vocals?" And, and of course, he went in there and 
and did a great job. Uh, and and uh, again, I, I feel like the, that group and Stevie Wonder, they're just part of our DNA in life. You know, they, like they've written the soundtracks to our lives. Well, and you pulled two songs off my all-time favorite Earth, Wind & Fire album, All in All. So I was very much on board with that choice. Cool. No, thank you. It's, uh, you know, I, I wore those records out completely, you know. And, 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 and Maurice, he was such a visionary, you know. And, and first of all, too, his voice. There's no other voice like that on the planet, you know. Just, and then the combination of him and Philip. It was just, I, I think it was, it was written a thousand years ago that they, they would come together and be such an influence in our lives. Uh, and, you know, just that's, that's kind of the mark when you're, when you're making music, you know, I look at that and, and I say, this is what you want to shoot for, you know, this, this kind of impact. You, um, you finally, as you mentioned, you finally came up with we're talking about the solo record so it took you a while until 2013 i think you said but now you've done three of them i believe um one, one a duet the duo album with bob james and, and so uh, that was a lot of fun too and then in the middle of my two solo albums um yeah it's it's one of those things you know making time for was was the challenge for me is <laughs> something that i i started wanting to do more and more we formed Foreplay in uh, 1990, uh, first album released in 91, I can't believe, already over 30 years ago. Uh, and that for me has been uh, a beautiful outlet for sort of like a solo uh, endeavor, you know, that I could, I could play music um, <clears throat> that I've written and, and uh, primarily instrumental uh, and, and with some of the greatest musicians as well. Yeah, so I understand you guys came together because you for for a certain project, and then it just clicked so well. You're like, hey, let's keep this going. Absolutely, um, Bob James, who's who had done so many solo albums and great leader, um, he came up with the idea of. He said, "Boy, wouldn't it be fun, you know, just to have a band where like each person was responsible for twenty five percent, you know? So now you don't have to do this whole record as a as a single artist, but each person contributes." produces their own music and then we all are just we we just share in in the whole process and and that particular combination of musicians there was a there was sort of a built-in sound if you listen to a song called restoration on uh, on bob james's uh, album called grand piano canyon i think it came around 1990 uh, to me i call that the the birth of foreplay you know the first real foreplay song it was just the quartet and it sounds like foreplay, <laughs> and uh, so he was—he picked up on uh, he picked up on that sound, and was he was an executive at Warner Brothers Records, and he said, you know, I I believe I could get us a deal, <laughs> you know, and and we we you know like you you say you know you're in the say oh that would be great that would be great, and we actually um, you know and after a few months he said well what do you think guys and. Yeah, and, and so Warner signed us, you know, they, they didn't have to hear a note, you know, as soon as they saw the lineup, you know, we had a deal. And as a matter of fact, um, Mo Austin and all the executives, they were, they were at the studio first day one when we recorded the, the album. And um, it, was, it was just very exciting, you know. So, so that kind of 
that kind of satisfied my solo artist need for, for several years before I actually became a solo artist. Yeah, and I think also gave you a, a nice outlet for something different because you were still doing so much of the rock and pop and that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. So it, it would be it would be fun to get get off the road, um, say you know, finish a clapping tour and then jump right onto a four play tour, you know. And there's Larry Carlton, or you know, we we were blessed with three of the world's greatest guitar players: Lee Rittenauer, Larry Carlton, and Chuck Loeb. Um, and um, we. You know, when Chuck passed away, you know, we, we used that as an opportunity to just say, now nah, let's let's pause and figure out, you know, what we're going to do from here. But uh, 30 years is a pretty good, pretty good run. Yeah, and I think your timing was perfect, too, because in the early 90s, it was when, you know, things were getting sort of overproduced in the pop world and, and you had grunge and things like that were happening um, yeah. and hip hop and all that. But there wasn't so much of of the of high profile music in the space that you guys were pursuing at that time right exactly and so yeah the timing ended up being pretty good and then the music was really embraced um and and we all ended up being very happy with with the way uh, <laughs> the world received our music and, and and you know touring all around the world as well uh, was a joy and of course, playing with Harvey Mason, who goes all the way back to this classic 70s uh, jazz greats. Um, what's it like locking in on, on rhythm with him? Oh, no. It's, uh, like I say, I, I was such a big fan of these guys before even meeting them. You know, I was in a band in San Diego, and we did seven songs from Harvey's Funk in a Mason Jar album. <laughs> you know, like every one of them was so good. Um, and then... Uh, of course, he was on Breezing with one of the greatest records of all time. Breezing to George Benson. Uh, he was on those Earl Clue records. He produced, you know, Written Hour. And I mean, he was he was a great drummer, producer, all around guy, you know, musician. And and so um, when when we had a chance to be in the band together, it was it was it was amazing. You know, we I just spoke to him. He he just had a birthday the other day, and and uh, really really. Uh, just for me, still excited to to be able to call these guys my friends. Yeah. Um, that Mason Jar, I love that album. I think there's a track on there called Phantasm that was really tight. I don't really like that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Every, like I say, seven songs, Pack Up Your Bags, uh, What's Going On was on there, and they had George Benson. He called his friend George Benson in to play. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, and to me, these, these were the kind of standards that when I was – you know, growing up and a, a kid, you know, being a fan, these were the standards that I was shooting for. And Bob James, one of my favorite keyboard players, he just has such feel, you know, he, I'm not sure how virtual, virtuosic, if that's right, however you say that, would say that word, he is. Um, he impresses me regardless, but just his feel, immaculate. Yeah, beautiful. The, the, he has a great touch. Um, and a lot of people, he's, I've been on gigs and people come to him and say, oh, I just love your touch. You have the greatest touch. He said, yeah, but what do you think about my piano playing? <laughs> you know, but he's a, he, he's a good guy. I mean, so creative. I, I think he's like, and, and his compositions, you know, he's one of these guys that just, he writes it, he plays it, he arranges it. He, he, 
he went in line and got, you know, he, he came back around, you know, several times for the gift. And uh, uh, one of the probably, you know, most treasured musicians um, that we have that's come out of this country uh, and still continues to this day to be prolific songwriter, prolific composer. Um, again, still plays better than ever. Um, and I get to be in a band with him. <laughs> How lucky am I, you know? And we've done a, a duo record together. I mean, it's... Yeah, I love that record. Early, uh, really thank good you. record, yeah. Yeah, just, just, just again, I, I wake up every day and just count my blessings. It was so fantastic, too, the way Bob um, sees the opportunity of the pandemic to really communicate musically with people out there through social media and all that and do his sessions and share that with people during these hard times. Yeah. Um, I think a musician like Bob has to have a creative outlet outlet. Cause if you can imagine like if music is boiling inside of you and it can't come out, then you would explode, you know? So he, you know, he did the next best thing. He, he figured out how to, okay, if I'm going to have to be at home, I'm still going to find a way to connect with people that, and, and I used to love reading the comments because people were so um, appreciative that he would take the time to share music and stories. And I thought it was, it's brilliant the way he, um, you know, dealt with plan B. Okay. Now I'm stuck at home. What am I going to do? And, and it was, it was just brilliant. I used to be, you know, sit there waiting for him to show up, <laughs> and, you know, he'd have the camera on and, and then um, it was, it was just, uh, again, the genius of Bob James. Yeah. And just looking to share it and not to necessarily make a profit or something like that. You know, it's just all about the music. Yeah. I mean, very, uh, he, he's a very uh, generous musician, you know, and, and uh, the, the kind I like to, you know, he, he's always thinking in terms of, of projecting and giving, you know, it's not just, Oh, check out what I can do. I, I practice this, you know, but no, he's, He's always has output, you know, and I, I think that's um, one of his greatest attributes is that he's just so, so giving with his music. I also really like how lately he's been reimagining some of his great compositions, you know. And and he's the most sampled <laughs> musician, apparently, you know, like every rapper, you know, and he, my daughter was playing uh, one of her favorite songs and it, it had the sample of Nautilus by Bob James. And I'm saying, okay, Sarah, Google Nautilus. And then she said, oh, this is where the song came from. <laughs> and uh, I mean, he's been sampled by so many rappers and and, uh, and it lets me know that they they have great taste in music, you know, to pick his music to, to sample. Yeah, hopefully he gets, you know, uh, remunerated for that. Taste, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Nathan, I've heard you talk about that Grammy performance, I think it was, um, being one of the amazing experiences you've had. And I wanted to ask you if you could just share with everybody one or two of the most unforgettable live performances that you've been involved with. Would that be one of them? That would definitely be one of them. The reason being because you're, you're at a place where every single musician is there. You know, So first of all, you're on stage with Stevie Wonder, and and Pharrell and Daft Punk and Nile Rodgers and all you know, all my friends. You know, Paul Jackson Jr. was there. At, 
Um, and and then you look out in the audience and there's Ringo and Paul McCartney dancing to you <laughs> to the song and Beyonce and uh, you know Katy Perry and it, it was just like all it was, everybody was out there in the audience. I'm thinking, where else would you rather be? You know, it was really um, just an exciting night to be playing music and then it was being televised around the world. So uh, definitely one of the most u- unique and fun experiences. What year was that? It was 2014, I think. Uh, and then, you know, they won the song, got they got record of the year, song of the year or something like that. And, and uh, yes, I, I, I call that like ground zero for music. You know? And uh, another one, though was was being on the steps of the lincoln memorial um for the inauguration of uh president barack obama two million people playing um you know stevie wonder bono james taylor i mean it's just the entire music industry again herbie hancock and you know uh mary j blige it was just uh bruce springsteen you know it's just all these people coming together for this momentous occasion and then to literally see three miles as far as the eye can see of people standing shoulder to shoulder. I'll, I'll never forget how exciting that was. And uh, I had a picture of my my parents who are no longer with it, my grandparents on my music stand, you know, and, and everybody was crying, you know, and this would be the first time that they would see, you know, black president. It, it just was one of those days where it was, uh, it was very special. Did you get goosebumps? Goosebumps, <laughs> definitely. And, and it was great because uh, after it was all over, they said, everybody stay seated while the first family leaves, you know, and usually they'll just, Secret Service, you know, rushes them off and, and but no, they, uh, the family came over and, and shook all of our hands, introduced, said hello. I remember uh, President Obama said, hey, you were really laying it down, you know, I'm thinking, really, <laughs> you know. And then we were all little kids. There's Herbie Hancock and James Taylor and, and and all these folks, you know, just standing there waiting patiently as he comes down and he, he settles something to everybody. And so I, I said, I thought this this just this feels great. We need Wow, to- talk about historic. Um, yeah. in a situation like that, Nathan, do you get to where you kind of don't even realize or forget that you're playing? It's just kind of like you're outside yourself in a way. A little bit, you know, it's, it's, a, uh, it's one of the, and, and I'll never forget to um, my, my phone, I had my phone. And then as soon as it was finished, I heard uh, it just started bing, 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 bing. And then and there, some kind of way they were able to block the signals of all the cell phones. And I thought, Hey, this is for, uh, for two hours, they, <laughs> there was no cell phone signal. And um, it just, it just felt like, like you were in a movie, you know, we, we had to get the bomb sniffing dogs, you know, with for our cases and, um, you know, and there were, there was just, you know, there was the, uh, um, the army band, they were there right there. I mean, all, all these, you know, all these folks in DC that were just, uh, and, and everybody wants to be there, you know, so everybody had to go through this, you know, same security checks and, Secret services everywhere. It was it was amazing. Can only imagine, man. After all this time, do you get more fulfillment out of playing in the studio or on stage? That's a great question um, because I think 
I'm 50-50 on the fulfillment factors. Nothing like playing on stage and then just getting the getting the feedback and the love from, from the audience. They, it's just uh, it's just an amazing feeling. And uh, and my father used to say, I wish every time I came up with an idea, I'd get applause. <laughs> uh, but then at the same time in the studio, your sound is being reproduced pristine quality, you know, and, and so you hear really this hi-fi, beautiful uh, sound being reproduced. And, and that's, it's, it's fun. It's like, it's so, so both of them equally, uh, I enjoy. Are there a couple of baselines that you've done that are your favorites or you're most proud of, or just resonate the most with you for, for a particular reason? Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, uh, the song tears in heaven, um, when Eric Clapton wrote it for his son. And, um, I always say that the song played me, you know, I just kind of was connected to the bass, but everything that came out just was like, it was happening. Uh, and, and so I, I was happy with, with the way I was playing fretless on that. And, um, I love, uh, Song Don't Look Any Further by Dennis Edwards. I like that bass. To this day, it's, it, was a, it was just a, a fun, fun record to record. Um, of course, uh, you know, Get Lucky, <laughs> that, that was fun. Easy Lover was fun. And, and the, the added bonus of, of writing it just made it very, very special to hear on the radio so much. <clears throat> what about, do you have two or three bass lines by others that are just your favorites for the love of money anthony jackson he walked in the studio and said d minor and he comes up with did it did it did it i mean genius much you know um i you know i started learning all the beatles songs from the you know so ticket to ride and uh and uh a lot of those lines that mccartney used to play i just you know come together and all that, those, those ended up being baseline sunshine of your love. Um, of course, all this TV, you know, uh, I was made to love her. Uh, what's going on, Marvin Gaye. I mean, the list is endless. What is hip, Tower of Power. <laughs> I mean, these are all just kind of like pretty iconic bass parts. Uh, yeah. Remark you made. No. What about, is there any solo that you can think of that kind of blew your mind? Oh yeah, and again, when you, when you're talking about Jocko, you know, just uh, um, all of his solos, <laughs> basically, um, and um, you know, but again, you know, when I, you know, those Anthony Jackson bass parts on those Shaka Khan records, and and uh, I I think there's it's great because the bass the stuff. That, and as a matter of fact, Wes Montgomery's brother uh, Monk Montgomery had an album called reality where he, he played solo bass lead lead bass on all the tunes and that was my first idea of when i knew what i wanted to do you know if i ever made a solo album it would be patterned after that i gotta say bobby watson was no slouch either on those rufus no slouch at all <laughs> sat there learning his bass lines you know, once you get started all the whoop, 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 you know is there anyone still on your bucket list that you would like to work with? You know, Prince was on my bucket list and missed it, you know. Um, Pat Metheny and I have jammed together, but I've never done any, like, official gig with Pat Metheny. 
and uh, or recording. And, and I think he'd be he's one of my uh, favorite musicians, and I'd love to do something with him. Anything. <laughs> and he and he does, you know, when he made the duo album with um, Charlie Hayden, you know, I mean, he his collaborations are very special. So I, I'd love to collaborate with Pat. He's, he's probably, uh, you know, one of my all time favorite musicians. And your playing involves sleight of hand because I understand you're also in the magic, right? So, <laughs> oh, you heard about the yeah, I, I joined the magic castle here. Uh, many years ago, I joined the Magic Circle in London, and it's just a hobby that I enjoy. I think everybody likes a little magic, uh, a little sleight of hand. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, usually if we're at a dinner or something, it's fun, to, it's fun to pull something out. What inspired that? Was it one of those uh, 1970s Earth, Wind & Fire shows? <laughs> yeah, well, those definitely were amazing. Yeah, the, the, he had a lot of magic in there, yeah. And, and uh I, you know, magic is one of those things. It's, it's like music, you know, everybody loves it around the world. And, and so I, I just kind of enjoyed it as a kid. And, and uh, so I got to know some, some magicians as well that, that uh, turned into friends. And we used to jam and do magic together as well. Yeah, has that been passed along too to the uh, kids or not so much? Yeah, I used to not show them, but then I finally started showing them. So they, yeah, they have a few tricks under their belts as well. <laughs> are there any projects, uh, Nathan, that you've been part of that we haven't mentioned that people are going to watch us and say, why didn't they bring that up? <laughs> well, I think uh, it's always, you know, we, we just released uh, the, the Lady in the Balcony with, with Clapton, which was, which was a it's sort of like a, another unplugged type project and, and, uh, really had a great time recording it um it was done during while everybody was on the lockdown so sort of the lockdown sessions uh in an umbrella out in the english countryside beautiful area some beautiful footage of the grounds out there and um not only that but um um i'm really looking forward to uh as soon as my son graduates from from uc berkeley which will be soon making an album with noah east and doing a father-son project Wow, are you going to get pro producer credit on that one? Absolutely, <laughs> we'll 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 probably produce it together. But yeah, I think uh, it'll just be fun to put that together. Can't wait. Yeah, can't wait for that either. Um, that'll be so cool. And you're uh, hitting the road again. You know how how great is it to be able to do that again? It's it's wonderful. It's it's exciting and just this is what we do. So. Um, sort of got the rug pulled out from under us and now we get to go back and do it again. So um, I think we, we all appreciate it even, even more. And then you have, uh, I think, a, um, a Jazz Weekender event coming up in April, right, with uh, Bob and the gang. Yeah, we, we, we actually have a Jazz Weekender uh, four-play reunion, but um, there's a level four travel advisory in French Polynesia and the CDC is still saying, um, be careful of cruises. So um, they may be uh, yet postponing it yet again. <laughs> so we're waiting on, uh, we're waiting on the final word, but yeah, it's been, it, it was pushed back because of COVID. And then, then obviously, you know, COVID on the cruise is up 30% or whatever. Nobody wants to be stuck on a cruise <laughs> getting infected. So, uh, we're, we're seeing how that's coming and um, it, it may be pushed back, but 
uh, we will look forward to that happening at some point. <laughs> and you're going to uh, Europe with Eric Clapton? Yes, going to Europe uh, in uh, May and June. And states later on? or And states probably later on in the year, yeah. Okay, definitely look forward to that. And um, before we uh, sign off, Nathan, is there one or two tips you can offer for aspiring bass players? You know, the, the biggest thing I could say is listen and, uh, and make every single note count. That's what I say. I have a, an online school on artistworks.com, uh, online school of electric bass, but uh, I'm always promoting make every note count. <laughs> you, know, you don't want to be able to trim any off, you know, uh, and, and just play from the heart. Absolutely. I want to thank you for spending this time with us. It's been awesome. And uh, thank you so much for all the great music, Nathan, and keep it up. Hey, I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for having me. And uh, let's do it again. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkinstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, Shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkinstuff.net and linking through funkinstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven results-oriented professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the media services section at funkinstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Goldfine saying, keep on keep vibing on to the rhythm of the one.